All right, great show today with my good buddy, Mark Diana, who you probably know as GolfBets101 on Twitter. Mark is like one of the main guys that I talk through all of my nonsense with on a week-to-week basis. So I thought this was the perfect week to bring him on because I know that he's crazy enough, like me, to spend time dissecting the John Deere Classic. If you're taking the week off, I respect the hell out of that. I wish I had that power. I'm sick, too. Like, I have a really bad cold. And I still couldn't help myself from betting this tournament. We do talk some British Open at the end, too. So even if John Deere isn't your jam, we squeeze a little British stuff at the end. Well, it's more me yelling about Xander, but you get the gist. But before we get to the show, I want to talk about BetUS. BetUS is an online legal sportsbook in all 50 states and They currently have the best Russell Henley number on the market. They have a 22 to 1 on him. I've seen him as low as 16 to 1 on DraftKings. That is a common occurrence, by the way, with BetUS. Well, they will have the best numbers in the marketplace. I could not imagine not having BetUS in my arsenal. I love it, not just because of the golf odds that it will hang, but also fast, secure, easy payouts. So make sure to go to BetUS.com and use promo code PICKTHEPUP for a 125% bonus on your first deposit that is betus.com and promo code pick the pup let's get to the show all right i have my good pal mark diana on the line golf bets 101 on twitter writer for waggle duff and the breakdown how's it going my friend good how about you it's going pretty good. I told you before we started recording i'm battling a little bit of a cold but i'm doing all right man i think The only thing that's a little bit of a bummer is we don't have an awesome tournament to talk about this week, but I figure me and you spend so much time dissecting this stuff in our Twitter DMs anyway, and you know pretty much every thought that goes through the course of my head in terms of deciding who to bet each week that we might as well use a kind of a crapshoot of a tournament this week to let some more people into how our minds work and how crazy we are about this stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm already starting to look at the odds boards this week and it's just going to be absolute lunacy when you start trying to find any value on on golfers. So I'm excited to talk about it. I know it's going to be interesting for the listeners to hear some of the names that they probably are not going to hear again for the next two or three months. Yeah, I've got some ugly guys for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to say about the Rocket Mortgage. I know that you were, you probably didn't watch a ton Fourth of July weekend. Nope. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was out and about Friday, yep. Saturday. Okay. All right, Sunday cool. Sunday too, even. Okay, cool. I got, I got, I got nothing to rehash about the Rocket Mortgage. Let's start, let's jump right into the John Deere. Um, this is a par seventy-one. It's playing seven thousand two hundred sixty-eight yards. It's a DA Wybring design. Bentgrass greens and fairways, six thousand foot square foot, six thousand square foot greens. We did not have this tournament last year due to the pandemic, but in two thousand nineteen, Dylan Fratelli won at a hundred to one, I believe. In two thousand eighteen, Michael Kim won at three hundred to one. In two thousand seventeen, Aline Bryson won, and then two thousand sixteen, you have Ryan Moore. Twenty fifteen, Jordan Spieth, and then going down, you get some Brian Harmon in there, a little more Spieth. Um, some Jack, Zach Johnson and a lot of Steve Stricker. I've already broken down the course in depthly on my Sunday podcast. So I'll just kick it to you, man. What are you kind of looking for this week? Yes, yeah, so I normally start my process every single week by looking at what the last five winners did on the course in order to win. Uh, with this week, there isn't a lot of similarities among the five guys you mentioned. Uh, the only thing that really sticks out is that they all had spike putting weeks, which is pretty normal for a PGA Tour winner. They all were pretty much in the top 20 of TD Green for the week that they won. And they all scored in all the holes. It wasn't just a par 5 birdie fest. It wasn't just a par 4 scoring average type of thing. There was 25% scoring on the par 3s, 31% on the par 4s, and almost 58% if you include the Eagles on the par 5s. So all these holes are gettable. The par 5s, like I mentioned, you can get Eagles on them. So you really need to score on those. If you're getting par, you might be dropping two strokes to the field to some golfers. So... I'm really looking at a lot of the scoring stats, your birdie or better percentages, uh, greens regulation gain. I'm going to be looking mostly at the kind of stats that give golfers an opportunity to score. Just get in the fairway, get on the green, and don't three-putt. Like it. Yeah, I'm looking a lot at wedge play. Um, I'm looking a lot at guys who play well in easy scoring conditions because I do think that 
a tournament like this, it's just a different vibe. It, it asks something different of a player. And I think that there are certain players that do tend to prefer weeks like this. And there are certain players that do tend to prefer the hard weeks. There are certain guys that are just better. Their skill set is better suited for a course where kind of it's more important to grind out pars, right? And there are certain players where their skill set is better suited for a course where it's really gettable and you have to shoot a really, really low number. Like this course is set up a lot more like a corn fairy tour course than it is, you know, I don't know, even a regular PGA tour event that's just kind of on the harder side, like an Arnold Palmer Invitational or a Honda Classic. So I'm with you, dude. I think that scoring opportunities, wedges, these fairways are really wide to hit, uh, are really easy to hit. They're really wide, 41 yards yards wide on average, 72% driving accuracy here. A lot of the players that have won here, really low in driving accuracy that week. So you can kind of just bomb away, but it's not necessary. That doesn't, when people think bomb away, they immediately think like bombers. That's not even really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, there are a lot of guys like a Spieth, a Zach Johnson, a Steve Stricker who don't tend to gain a ton of strokes off the tee just because they're not very long by any means. And they're not like super accurate by many, any means either Spieth is like literally the perfect example, but this is a course where you can completely get away with that here. And it really just comes down to um, your approaches, your wedges and your putting. So I'm really looking at wedge play, like you mentioned, scoring opportunities, spike putting weeks. Uh, But at the end of the day, dude, like, we joke a lot about how much of it is a crapshoot, but I think there really is some merit to that, right? Like Fertelli won here in 2019 at 100 to 1. His form coming in was 59th missed cut, 46, 46. The year before, Michael Kim won at 300 to 1. His form coming in was missed cut, missed cut, missed cut. So it's typically either like a complete random at triple digits or like Steve Strecker at 5 to 1. Does that kind of factor into how you're trying to shape your card this week? Do you think that this is a week where you're more inclined to throw a lot of darts um, closer to the bottom of the board or structure it kind of like a regular tournament? I think I'm structuring it similar to a regular tournament just because a lot of the guys who normally would be like 150 to one are now like 65 to one. So like I would normally be throwing darts at those guys, but now they're not even long shots. They're like kind of just in that middle tier range. Um, if you get like into like the deep into the hundreds and the two hundreds, you're starting to get some guys who haven't really sniffed a lot of contention. So I'm probably going to structure it where I'm going like one or two guys under 40 to 50, then like two or two guys, maybe like between 50 and 75. And then one guy closer to a hundred, which is kind of my traditional card structure. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I, there's, I haven't fully decided what I'm going to do yet, but I'm kind of leaning that way. I, I've never somebody that like, I'm just going to throw a bunch of like $5 bets on all these guys over a hundred to one, even though this is a tournament where it, it kind of makes more, I think you can make an easier argument to do that this week. I did this whole thing on my podcast yesterday about the merits of betting heavy favorites at tournaments like this versus majors. And where I kind of made the case for tournaments like the majors are the tournaments where you really want to pay up for guys at the top of the board because so much of the field is kind of out of it before they tee up. Whereas this is one of like the three or four weeks all year where Richie Wierenski and Mark Hubbard are like, okay, game on, like I can win this thing. Um, And there's just not that many tournaments like that. Um, But anyway, I think there's some interesting options at the top of the board. So let's talk about the top of the board. I'm going to give you the 30 and below guys, Mark, on BetUS. All odds are courtesy of BetUS. Use promo code PICKTHEPUP for a 125% bonus on your first deposit. But here we go. We've got Daniel Berger at 9-1. to Sung JM at 14-1. to Brian Harmon at 16-1. to Russell Henley at 22-1. to uh, Shout out BetUS. I believe that that is the best number that you can find on Russell Henley. I've seen like 16-1s to on Russell Henley out there. So 22-1 to on Russell Henley, BetUS. Check it out. Kevin Strelman, 25 to 1. Cameron Davis, 28 to 1. Those are our players, Mark, that are below 30 to 1 this week. Are you betting any of them? 
I already bet Kevin Streelman. I got him at 28 to 1. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of those guys were to go on to win this week. I just kind of like the number on, on Streelman. I saw like an 18 on him and like a 19 on him. So when I saw the 28, I kind of jumped right on it. He's been playing good golf in recent weeks. And he's another one of those guys where it's like when he's at an event like this, like he's never going to be a favorite. But now this week, he's up there for a reason. He's one of the best guys in this field. So this is a type of event where he can go win. He's not always going to be live to win every single event he, he tees it up at. And this is one of the ones that he is. So I figured the guy in really good form, he stays in the fairways, he gets greens. He was kind of checking off all those boxes. I'm pretty interested in Sung Jae Im. I'm not going to bet twice up at the top of this board, but like Sung Jae Im and like DraftKings is definitely a guy that I would be looking towards. And I mean, Berger at nine to one, you can make the argument that's probably a better bet than if you bet Bryson at seven to one last week. So that's what I'm thinking up top. I took Streelman. Other than that, the other guys probably got a lot of exposure to DraftKings wise, but not in a lot of betting formats. Interesting. Okay. I like Streelman. I think him, I think him and Harmon are both good options too. I already mentioned that Henley was the guy that I was leaning towards the most, but I think all of them are pretty good options. The thing, the thing is too, is it's like, if you remove the name from these guys and just look at their statistical profile or what they have done this year, like Streelman went 26 at Wells Fargo, eighth at the PGA, low key contended there, 20th at Colonial, 13th at the Memorial, 15th at the US Open, all in a row. Like he's had a way better season than like Dustin Johnson. Um, and same with Harmon. Like Harmon finished third at the Players this year and 12th at the Masters this year. And you look at the numbers and it's just green everywhere. Um, so someone has to be at these odds and their only options are like, all right, we're just going to take the players that are playing the best golf right now. It's either these guys are making like Steve Stricker and Zach Johnson 20 to one. Um, like what are their other options? You know what I mean? So I I think it comes down to how you want to structure your card because like I said, I, I kind of, I made the argument yesterday and I talked about it last week too. Uh, why, about why I was having such a hard time understanding the Bryson thing is like, this is a tournament where you want to throw more darts. So I, it's not that I don't think that this is like a decent group of guys. I'm, I'm by no means above betting any of these guys at these numbers. I just found myself way more drawn to this kind of 30 to 80 range um, where I think there are a lot of guys that I could see myself end up see myself getting there with i want to touch on sung jay too uh because i really like sunjay what drew you, what drew you to sung jay because he's a guy that i'm like i'm all over him on DraftKings this week like obviously i know it's not a great number on him at 14 to 1 but he's finally doing everything that i kind of like wanted to see all season like he gained strokes in all four major categories last week the irons are like fully back he's gaining off the tee again the short game and putter never really left. He makes a ton of birdies. And like if Sungjae is $300 more expensive than Brian Harmon, um, but he's coming in at like 11 or 12% and Harmon's coming in at like 18 or 20%, like give me Sungjae 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I look a lot at like correlated courses or courses that play similar, at least in terms of like whether it's just the, the leaderboard is similar or the actual course itself is similar. So I looked at the Shriners because that's a course that people get really low at. Um, TPC Twin Cities 3M, which is going to be in a couple weeks actually, and then Silverado. And Sungjae's got a 15th and a 13th at Shriners, a 15th at Twin Cities, a fourth at Silverado. So he's played all those easier score fest courses pretty well. Like you mentioned, his approach has been getting better. That's been kind of his issue this whole this whole season. His putter's been electric. He's been rolling putts in from everywhere. Um, so one of the other things I use is the rolling report on Fantasy National. Mm-hmm. And if you sort by T to green, his T to green, I think he's second over the last four rounds, but it's trending all the way from like no green to dark green. And that's kind of what I was looking for. At least if you're going to pay up, like somebody who's going to at least, like if you, if you bet somebody here, like they better not miss the cut. Like that, that is just too hard of a, <laughs> of a slap in the face to bet somebody at like 15 to one at this field and then miss the cut. So I felt like some was kind of just trending in the right direction. I feel like people kind of fallen off of him. I remember like when Not PJ Four first went when when it first went back to Florida, there was the whole Sung Jane Florida, Sung Jane Florida announces even Hawaii here, too. So. People like people bet him in Hawaii. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. 
Yeah, so that that's what kind of led me to him. I, I didn't bet him because I just the fifteen that I was seeing on him, I went just to double that number basically with Strillman, who I figured had probably the same amount, like probability wise, of, of winning the event. But I do like Sungjae a lot. I'm probably gonna live to regret not betting him, but yeah, I'm with you. All right, so Strillman for you, both like Sungjae and DraftKings. Leaning towards Henley for me at twenty-two to one, but haven't pulled the trigger yet. Let's get into that thirty to sixty range. So, a lot of guys here, man. Like I'm seeing Seamus Power at thirty to one, Siwoo Kim at thirty-three to one, Alex Norn at thirty-five, Kevin Na at thirty-five, Troy Merritt at forty, Mav McNeely at forty-five, Patton Kazire at forty-five, Doug Gim at fifty, Zach Johnson at fifty, Lucas Glover at fifty, Doc Redman at fifty. Uh, Ryan Moore at 50, Kyle Stanley at 55, Aaron Wise at 55. I guess let's stop there, but these numbers, shout out to BetUS, but these numbers are also can be all over the place, Mark. So feel free to um, throw out any numbers that you've gotten. I've Some of these guys I've been shopping around with myself. Is there anyone in this range that you've pulled the trigger with yet? The only other person I've been on besides Kevin Streelman is Kevin Noss. I'm just going to go with the full <sighs> Kevin week this week. You're doing um, it, huh? And part of it was, like I mentioned earlier, like I was looking at some of those other courses and, and TPC Summerlin, which was where Shriners has played, is one of the ones that came up. And Kevin Noss won there twice. Um, that kind of that kind of sold it for me. But he's won five times on the PGA Tour. And in four of those five wins, he got to at least 19 under. So if we're going to talk about a guy going low in his – like those four ones I mentioned, he was 19 under, 23 under, 21 under, 23 under. Like he can get to that spot. And I think that's the first checkbox when you're betting an outright guy is can they realistically get to that number? You have to like kind of envision where the tournament's going to head and what it's going to look like. And I think Kevin Knott can get there. So that 45 to one is what I saw on him. And I ended up taking that. Um, that's the only other guy I've bet in this range so far. I was about to say something snarky about the fact that he just lost four strokes on approach in his last start. And then I remembered that that's what Cameron Davis did too the week before that in the start the, that before he won the rocket mortgage. So you're right about Kevin. Now you could probably make an argument uh, that he is, you know, just in terms of pedigree, one of the best players in this range. I just never able to get there with him. I have a lot of guys circled here and <laughs> And especially if I don't end up getting there with Henley, like there are a lot of guys and I want you to help me kind of talk me through this one because there are a lot of guys that I'm kind of trying to figure out between. So I've, I bet Doc Redman at 66 to one is one of like the two bets that I've made so far. I want to talk about him now because I'm seeing him 50 on bet us. I found a 66 to one on him. I kind of like Doc coming off a miscut. I know that he's still probably a little bit overpriced. I think we're going to get a nice ownership break on him because everyone was on him last week. Looking at the early ownership stuff on Fantasy National, he's like 10, 11%. He was double that last week and only $300 cheaper in a way better field. That will probably go up a little bit if like Mayo talks about him and stuff, but you know, it's still early, but I think that's manageable. He was fine last week. Like I don't, I don't get how things shift so much on these guys. Like you, you look at the difference in odds between the guys that played last week and the guys that played this week, and based on the field strength, like it's so all over the place. Like a guy like Pat and Kazire, for example, I bet Pat and Kazire at one hundred and twenty-five to one last week. Pat and Kazire finished twenty-fifth, and now Pat and Kazire is. 45 to one in this field. So Doc Redman was 50 to one last week. And now he's the exact same odds in this field. And he missed the cut by like a stroke and lost two strokes putting. And no one's talking about it. I don't get it at all. The off the tee actually got better. Um, it was his best off the tee week in a month. And the approach got slightly worse, but like not concerningly. So he just had his first bad putting week in like six weeks that's going to happen. I like him on this course. He can spray it a little off the tee, get silly hot with the irons, makes a ton of birdies. All of his best finishes are on some really easy courses. Let me give you the top 10s in his career, Mark. The courses that he is, that Doc Redman has finished top 10 at. Congaree, Detroit Golf Club, Silverado, Sedgefield, Port Royal in Bermuda, 
and TPC Craig's Ranch. Are, are those? I think those are the six easiest courses on tour outside of TPC I mean, Deer Run, right? I, I was going to say, like, Doc Redman was like the swing season superhero for DFS players. He was like locked in full lineup for like six weeks straight in like October and November. So, like, if you're looking at like those style of events and this style of field, I don't know how you don't go to Doc Redman at 66. I have him circled also. I haven't bet, bet on him yet. I'm very likely to get there with him because I don't. I, I understand even playing great, but how is he double the odds of Seamus Power? How is Seamus Power 30 to 1 in this field and Doc Redman 60, 66 or whatever? I, some of these numbers, like you mentioned, I just I can't envision them. Like I, I had Harry Higgs last week at 300 to 1. This week he's 150 to 1, and he missed the cut last week. Yeah. He got half the odds after missing the cut. I'll give you another one. I bet Munoz at 175 to 1 last week. He finished 67th and shot a final round 76 on the easiest day of the tournament. He's 60 to one this week. <laughs> yeah, I was on Lucas Glover last week at 90 to one. I think he's around like 45 right now. He's a guy yeah. who I'd also probably be interested in, but I like the Doc Redman play. I have a soft spot for him. So I was one of those guys who played him for like six weeks straight in the swing season. So I'm never against Doc Redman. I think I bet him at Palmetto, actually. Um, he's just kind of been like he's hanging very around popular too. at Palmetto, yeah. He's kind of just been like hanging around. And I feel like that's something that I've noticed with a lot of the winners this year on the PGA Tour. Like, it, it sounds stupid, but if they're playing good, just play them. They're, if they're going to be at the top of the leaderboard on a Sunday, like they're getting the experience they need to get to go and finally win one of these events. Like Sam Burns, for example, he should have won the Genesis. Max Homish never should have mm-hmm. gone to a playoff against Tony Finau. But Sam Burns got all this like final group experience, and then he almost won back-to-back weeks. So a lot of these guys, once they get on the tour and once they start to actually like contend a little bit, the next time they're in that position, the hands aren't shaking as much and not as nervous. And I think Doc Redman's one of those guys, like if he just putts, everything else with his game is there for the most part. So I, I can't argue with him at 66. I'm going to give you a couple other guys that I have my eye on and I want you to tell me if any of them pop out to you because I, I need help figuring out who to bet. Doug Gim, Kazire, McNeely, Glover, Kyle Stanley, and Aaron Wise. Of that group, assuming that all of their odds are relatively in the same ballpark, like somewhere in between 45 and 65, give or take, who is your favorite of that group? Because I need help, man. I really like Lucas Glover, and I'm not going to bet him this week just because I bet him last week. I'm not going to keep going back to the well of him. But one of the reasons why I liked him so much last week was because three of his top five single best rounds in putting have come this season. So you're talking about like a spike putter this mm-hmm. season. For I whatever reason, that he's just finding these rounds where he just like gains four strokes putting. And that's probably what you're going to need this week. I like Doug Gimmicks. He's a fairway finder. He's a greens finder, but he he's just can't putt. And for this event, I don't know if the winner is going to win it gaining three strokes, four strokes putting, and that might be the ceiling for Doug Gim right now. Mm. Aaron Wise, T to green, awesome. Again, bad putter, but he he can gain putting. Like he has. He's very he's not a great putter, but he is somewhat volatile. Like he has gained three, four strokes in a single round in the past. So he's a guy who I had circled the the putting issue is what's keeping me off of him currently. But Glover, I definitely could get behind. One guy, I don't know if you mentioned, but I was looking into is Charles Howell. And I found him around 66. I'm pretty sure you can probably find better numbers on him. But one of the things that I really liked about him is he's played this course a bunch. Yeah. He's played it 10 times, made nine cuts, six top 25s here. TPC Twin Cities, which is one of the courses I was looking at because it's like that type of scoring event. He's got a third and a 23rd. Talk about... TPC Summerlin, he's played there 18 times with nine top 25s. So he plays those crappy field, low-scoring events pretty well. I don't know if I would get to him outright, but he's definitely somebody I'm looking at, like, top 20, top 30. I feel like that's my issue. I keep getting to these guys, and I keep finding, like, reasons not to bet them. Oh, I'll just bet him top 30. But this week, like, one of these guys is going to end up winning. Like, somebody has to win this event. So no matter how many red flags you find, the guy who wins this event probably had a bunch of red flags regardless. 
Oh, 100%. And that's why I'm kind of having a hard time narrowing it down. I like what you said about Glover. The thing with Gim, why Gim stood out to me, and I'm not like a, I I don't play Doug Gim a ton, but I actually think the putting is getting a little bit better. Like he gained 0.8 strokes putting last week, and he's been a lot better than you would think coming off a good putting week. Like he does tend to follow up a good one with another good one. And then he'll have like six bad ones in a row. But I think it's an area of his game that he's like very cognizant of and working really hard on. He's talked about it before in interviews. He actually lost strokes on approach last week. I couldn't care less. He lost strokes on approach three other times this season. And in the following start, he went plus 3.9 plus four and plus 2.6. I think the irons are fine. They're the least of my concern. His two best finishes of the year actually came the week after he lost strokes on approach. So he lost 2.6 at the Sony came back the next week and finished fifth at the Amex lost at the Byron Nelson came back the next week and finished 14th at colonial really good wedge player makes a ton of birdies. That's kind of my spin zone on Gam. I still feel like in this field, like 50 to one still feels pretty short on him. I saw 66. That's a little bit better. So maybe. That's kind of similar to like, I think we mentioned earlier with like betting on talent sometimes. And Doug Gim's one of those guys where like the talent is there. And in this type of event, if you just bet on talent and hope for four days, it, it shows itself. He, he can win this event. I probably won't get to Gim. Uh, probably because when I bet him twice this year, I think he's missed a couple of times. So for your, if you're going to bet him for your sake, I'll stay off of him. But um, this range, I keep circling guys and then crossing them off. Like, I what about Kyle, Kyle Stanley? Stanley yeah, what about Kyle Stanley? I, I have him circled. And I, I, I was just looking at him, and I think I see him around like 55. But he's a guy who's like – talk about like trending and a guy who's just been like hanging around. I feel like for like six weeks now, he's just kind of like been there. And if he's just going to keep being there, eventually that might turn into something. So, I mean, he, he's the guy who I'm probably going to end up getting to. I think so, too. So he's played really well here. Five top 25s in 10 appearances, including a runner-up in 2011. He's won in Phoenix before. I don't think that's like a terrible comp. Um, he his, um, He's made six cuts in a row, 12 of 16 cuts this season. That's pretty damn good. Gained off the tee in eight straight starts. Uh, gained on approach in seven of eight, including some really high numbers. Like he can get scorching hot with the irons. He's just a bad putter. You know, there's no two ways about it. He sucks putting, but you know, when he does gain tends to gain a fair amount, like he gained plus 4.3. Um, the last time that he gained putting, that's probably good enough to win really good with his wedges too. Like He's the only player in this field outside of KJ Choi. I have no idea how KJ Choi got in there. That is top 10 in proximity from 125 to 150 and proximity from 150 to 175 over his last 36 rounds. So great short iron player. I think I'm probably willing to take a chance on the putter in this spot. I think the upside is there. So I like Kyle Stanley quite a bit. Let's open it up. Now all the guys going up to like 100 like we'll throw like all these guys like Johnny Vegas and Hank Lebiota and Munoz and Bo Hosler. I've seen getting some interest and Scott Stallings and CT pan. I'm not going to list all these guys out, but you can throw out anyone farther down the board now. So this event reminds me very much like those alternate field events that you get in Corrales and you get like in Puerto Rico and, and, I think every one of those events, I bet Will Gordon and Johnny Vegas. I don't know if I'll get there with Will Gordon this week, but Johnny Vegas is a guy that I could definitely get there with. You don't necessarily need to bomb it on this course, but that never hurts to gain strokes ball striking. He's going to rent bang it down the wide open fairways, give himself short little wedge approaches in. It's just going to come down to Kenny Putt. But he's also contended against this style of field at those alternate events. I keep betting him at those events because he keeps finishing like T5. So Johnny Vegas is a guy who I definitely, um, I can see him getting really popular, but that's not going to necessarily scare me off of him. The other guy who I was, who I've circled is Scott Stallings. Yeah. I, I feel like he's another guy, Kyle Stanley type of guy where he's kind of just been playing really good golf quietly and no one's really noticed him. I, I don't know what you think about him, but Stanley and Vegas are probably the two guys that I would most likely get to in that range. Um, okay. So me too. 
Uh, I talked Vegas up in my po- I bet Vegas. I bet Vegas at 70. The only two guys that I've bet is Redmond at Vegas. But yeah, I talked him up in my podcast yesterday. I wrote him up in my Rotoballer article. I know that he's picking up a little bit of steam. Not that I'm some market mover by any means, but I know our buddy John is on him as well. Um, he's definitely got way more pull than me. So I think he will end up being pretty popular this week. And I think for good reason, like he's a number one off the tee player in this field, six starts in a row where he's gained over two strokes off the tee on the field. Not that I think that will matter a ton this week, but it's really the irons that I'm in more intrigued by like two weeks in a row now where he's gained over three and a half strokes on approach fourth and opportunities game makes a ton of birdies. All of his best results, both this season and historically come on super easy courses where he can just kind of go bombs away. Like he won the Canadian open twice, once at 12 under and once at 21 under easy course, won the Amex at 27 under that's an easy course. Second at Palmetto this year. That's an easy course. Second at Puerto Rico in February. That's an easy course. Finished third here in 2017. I think you just kind of run into the same concern with Stanley and Wise and all of these guys that I seem to have interest in this week where he's not a great putter. Um, 1.5 strokes putting is the best he has done all year. I'll probably want to shoot myself uh, by Friday with like a Kyle Stanley, Aaron Wise, Johnny Vegas card. But I think all of these guys can do it here. And despite this being a course where you got to make a lot of putts, I still think that weeks like this, like it makes the most sense to bet these guys because their ball striking now goes from above average in a good field to like best in the field here where we could be looking at like seven or eight strokes gained ball striking. And there maybe isn't as much pressure on their putting as you would think, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And that's why like, for me, I kept going back to Scott Stallings is because five of his last seven, he's gained ball striking and five of his last seven, he's gained putting. And the one week he gained putting, I think it was Byron Nelson, he gained like eight or nine strokes putting. So he's the guy who has like a bit of a ceiling. Um, and Vegas, it's just, I bet him a couple of times, like I mentioned. So I kind of get fatigued with some of these guys, I feel like. You both bet him, him at Palmetto. Like, yeah, I've been at Palmetto. I've been at Corrales. I've been at Puerto Rico. I, I feel like I shouldn't be betting Johnny Vegas four to five times a season. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I don't get there because I feel like that, that might be an issue in of itself. But. Um, that's why I'm more drawn towards the Scott Stallings. I feel like I need to have somebody on my card for sure. Who, who's at least putted well recently. Otherwise I'm going to be like, like you said, pulling my hair out watching. Like, I don't want to be sweating a four foot par putt on shot tracker. So I know I'm never going to get to watch Johnny Vegas on PGA tour coverage. Well, the guy, first of all, I I'm with you on Stallings. I just, I ended up talking more about Vegas, but I, I I'm with you on Stallings. Like I'm, I wish I could get better at than 80 to one is the best number that I saw on him. But I, I guess that's kind of just like how it goes this week. He's played here a bunch and he's either like missed the cut or finished in the top 25. Um, he's coming off a week where he gained five strokes on approach. That's like his best approach week, I believe of the entire season, the off the tee is getting better. Like you mentioned, he can get really hot with the putter. I feel like there's a really good spot for him. Like, Eighth in strokes gain approach, 29th in birdies are better gain. That's kind of the formula here. His putting's a little bit better, as you mentioned. The short game is really his weak spot, and I'm not really concerned about that here, but he's fine off the tee. It's really the irons and the putting that he's best at. So I definitely like I'm gonna be playing some Scott Stallings. I I may end up betting him too at 80 to 1. The other guys in this range that like I had circled, the only other guy that's like unanimously below a hundred to one in both spots is I don't know if I could be any more angry at a golfer in my life than I was at Ches Revy last week. And I could still see myself going back. Yeah. I, I have Pat Perez circled also. Interesting. I don't know okay. if you looked at him at all, but he also I did like yeah. nine strokes putting last he week. Did. So I don't know if that's going to, that might yeah. scare me away because I don't know if he's going to hit that two weeks in a row. That's probably what he's going to need to get to again this week. I saw him like at 80, 85. He had my interest. Chez, I don't think I've bet Chez Revy outright ever, but I think I've bet him top 40 a, a good amount of times. I feel like this might end up being a week where I get a bigger card top 40 than I normally do. But I think there's going to be good value betting on some of these guys to finish top 40. It's like my, my whole issue with my outright card is always going to be like, at the end of the day, can this person win? Like, do yeah. I honestly think that this person's going to go on to win this tournament? 
And that's what's holding me up with a lot of the guys in this range. Like that's why like I mentioned like Charles Howell earlier, like is 42 year old Charles Howell going to go win this event this week. I don't know, but maybe will he shoot T, like 1700 and finish like T12. I think that's definitely possible. Yeah. So I feel like Chez, I mean, Chez won like, like a couple years ago on travelers. So, like he can win. He just also like, like he mentioned, like he's so volatile. Like maybe, maybe he misses the cut at an event where, it's going to be harder to miss the cut than it is to make the cut. Yeah. I mean, it's tough with jazz. Like he gained on approach again. He misses a lot of cuts to your point. And he, despite like the reason why his finishes haven't even been very high, despite being so good on approaches, he has not been putting well whatsoever. Really good short game. Um, not that I think that will matter a ton this week, but he's just a bad putter. You know, he can do it like 2.1 at the PGA, 3.2 at the Wells Fargo, but it's really just the iron play and the wedges that I'm so interested in. Like he's fourth in proximity from 125 to 156. Uh, in proximity from 150 to 175. It's really just like, I have such a hard time ignoring the irons in the wedge play. He loves a birdie fest. He's won the travelers before. I think that's a pretty good comp second and fourth in Phoenix. I don't hate that either. He's played well here too. finished top five here. So you're right. I'm probably closer to a situation where I just use him in DraftKings. I think, you know, obviously all my DraftKings picks as of now, they're kind of all dep- I want to see how the ownership shakes out, but I don't. Ex- I, I figure that he burned a lot of people last week as well. Um, so I think I'm probably, probably you're right. Not going to get there in an outright. I probably would rather bet Scott Stallings. Scott Stallings hasn't won in like seven years, but he's also won three times on the PGA Tour, so he can do it. Okay, let's kick it down to the 100 plus and above and kind of open it up to all these guys. 100 plus, is there anyone that you're betting outright wise in this range or even just guys that you have targeted for finishing position, DFS or whatever? There's nobody that I've bet on in this range outright yet. There's a couple of guys who I have circled that I have to kind of like really go in deep dive with and, and try to find as little red flags as possible. Keith Mitchell is a guy. He misses a lot of cuts, which is the reason why I'm a little bit hesitant with him. But he's also won. Like, so he's got the volatility to, to go out and win. And he was pretty popular back in Florida at a couple of events. He showed pretty well at the Wells Fargo. So he's got the upside to be there on a Sunday. He's also a decent putter. He can smash it down the fairways. I just don't know, like I mentioned earlier, if can he get to 23 under that's where i'm held up with like i know he could win because he has won it's just at that number i think he can win um so he's a guy who i've at least considered matthew neesmith is another guy i've looked at if i bet on him i'd take him off my blacklist because i blacklisted him (laughs) a couple months ago just because i was betting him too too frequently but he's a guy who hits fairways he hits greens he's one of the best approach players on tour he always plays well at the rsm the rsm is a course that i actually looked at so i don't know if that's just a little bit of of noise um, and then if you're looking at like a course history guy, who's a little bit sneakier, 250 to one Scott Brown. I don't know if you've looked at him at all, but he's played this course no. a couple times and he's, so he's played here eight times and he's finished seventh, 22nd, fifth, missed cut, 16th, 25th, 12th, missed cut. So he's played here eight times with six top 25s. Interesting. I mean, he made it, he made a hole in one last week. I mean, this might be the only course on the PJ Tour that he plays well at, but hey, <laughs> <laughs> he plays well again this week. I might bet him on top 40 or something like that. I have a couple of gems in here that I found that I actually have really talked myself into. I don't think that I'm going to bet any of these guys outright because this may, as odd as it sounds, may be a week where all of the guys that I bet outright, like I'd bet five guys in between 50 and 80. Um, this week, that's just kind of how it's shaking out for me with Redmond, Vegas, Wise, Stanley, and like Stallings, maybe Gim too. So these guys are more so for top 40 and DFS, but I'm going to play Nick Taylor in the top 40 market and I'm going to play him in DFS too at $7,200. I think Taylor's a really good play. The ball striking is trending in the right direction. He gained 1.2 strokes at the Rocket Mortgage. I almost played him last week, too. He's kind of been on my radar a little bit. For some weird reason, Nick Taylor's just kind of been 
he's just been popping up for me in random stuff. Um, but he gained 2.4 strokes on approach too. That's his best iron week since the Wells Fargo. He lost two and a half strokes putting, but he's a pretty good putter. Like the last time he lost over 2.5 strokes putting, it was all the way back in January. And he came back the next week and gained 4.4 at Riviera. He makes a ton of cuts. He wins golf tournaments. Um, like he won the Pebble Beach in 2020. He took down Phil that week. And he's also won the Sanderson Farms too. Um, he is also the number one player in this field over his last 36 rounds in proximity from 125 to 150 yards. So I think Nick Taylor is like a really, really good play. I'm going to be all over him in DFS in the top 40 market. And then the other guy, there's two other guys that I have circled. Adam Shank and Camilla Vajegas. And I think Vajegas, he's 270 to one. Vajegas is probably the lowest I would go in DFS at $6,600. But I think those guys are solid plays. Yeah, I looked into Adam Shank earlier today and I forget what it was that made me jump off of him. But I looked into him, he, he was kind of popping up. Maybe it was in one of my... One of the models I ran, he popped up, but somebody else who popped up in one of my, I, I did a pretty good emphasis on like fairways and good drives and stuff. So it doesn't surprise me, but Bryce Garnett, yeah. he's around that hundred to one range also. He's also a really good putter. So if I'm going to say that, you know, hit fairways, hit greens and putt well, as like, a, as like a blueprint for this week, I guess Bryce Garnett fits that mold pretty well. Um, and he's also been playing pretty well over his last 42 rounds, 0.76 per round total. Uh, gaining almost half a stroke per round putting. So, I mean, it's just if he can stay neutral ball striking, maybe he's a guy that maybe maybe I'll get up get to him actually outright even um, as my like deep bomb. So I'll probably bet him instead of Matthew Neesmith then. I like that. I mean, I like him more than Neesmith. I, I, I looked at both. The reason why, and I would definitely prefer Garnett. I like Garnett, by the way. I'm going to probably use him in DFS a little bit too. But the reason I like Neesmith is, or sorry, not Neesmith. I don't like Neesmith. The reason I like Shank is, um, and Shank's, I don't think Shank is going to be catching anyone by surprise. Like I, I, you know, I think all of the stat heads and I'm clearly one of those people myself. So I say that tongue in cheek, but I think they'll likely like what they see with Shank. I don't think he'll be as steamy as good old Roger Sloan, but I, I think people are going to like what they see with Shank. He finished six here in 2019 and he's coming off a week at the Rocket Mortgage. I played him last week too. Um, he's actually been on my radar for for a little bit, and he's just terrible around the green. He lost. He finished like 40th last week and lost like six strokes around the green. But if he's missing greens at TPC Deer Run, I think he's kind of fucked anyway. I'm not really concerned with that. What I do care about is that he can get really hot with the irons. Seventh in opportunities gained, so he gives himself a ton of chances. I think he's worth a shot. And then the reason I landed on Vajegas is, you know, he's played here a bunch, a lot of menacing, middling finishes, nothing really special, but he gained almost three strokes on approach last week. He's kind of bad off the tee, but I think that's fine here. We can live with that. He's just another one of those guys that he's putting poorly right now, but he isn't a bad putter. Like he's had multiple starts this year where he's gained over four and a half strokes putting. So I think he can turn that around he just has the correct skill set for this course. In my opinion, I know that he's, like I said, not great off the tee, but he can get really hot with the irons and really hot with the putter. Good wedge player. And he's been like, he's been good this year. Like he finished eighth at the Honda 17th at the Valero 25th at the heritage 11th at the Valspar. I think, he, I mean, like we're talking about a week here where Seamus power is $9,000 and Camilo Vajegas is 66 hundred dollars. Like is, is the difference like that great? Like, are we sure? <laughs> I, I almost bet the Jagas a couple of weeks ago. I forget what the tournament was. I definitely bet him top Col- forty a couple of weeks Colonial? ago. Colonial, maybe it might have been. Because might have been one. Of I bet ones. him at Colonial too. I might have been with you that week on him. He yeah. he's a guy who can just like like you said he can like make birdies and that's what you're going to be looking for. Guys, just go out there and score. A couple other guys who I don't really do first round leader bets like ever. Yeah, and this either. might be the type of event where I throw some darts at it. JJ Spawn is a guy who I feel like at this type of event is going to shoot like nine under on day one and then miss the cut somehow. But like, he's a guy who I might end up betting first round leader. Um, I don't know if you have a lot of research done on him, but for some reason, Ben Martin comes up fifth in my model when I sort last 24 rounds. Yes. And I don't think 
be careful with that. Me too. Yeah. And then I scored the last 36 and he dropped to like 20th. So there's got to be something in there that's throwing it off a little bit. But um, I like the Adam Shankle. Adam Shank was a guy who I used, I, I remember, don't remember how long ago it was, probably a couple months ago. I had him in like my cash game lineup, probably like four weeks in a row. He was just making every single cut. And all I needed yeah. was a guy at like 7K to make the cut. And that's who I would just throw in there. So I really like that call. Top 40 bets, definitely. Adam Shank, I might be with you on, if you bet him top 40. I, mm-hmm. I can see myself getting there. Um, yeah. So a big number on him. Yeah, I'm going to bet him top 40. And Ben Martin, you're right. Like he popped in my model too. But if you look at what he's done, like most recently, he missed a cut at the Rocket Mortgage, lost strokes in all four categories, missed a cut at Palmetto, lost strokes in all four categories. I think the reason why he's coming up in everyone's models is he just had that nice little run um, where he went 26 at the Byron Nelson, 11th at the Wells Fargo, and 34th at the Valero Texas Open. But if you shrink the sample size, it's like it's not great. So I'm probably out on Martin. Anyone else in there that we didn't talk about? I think like for me, it's looking like the top 40 guys that I'm going to bet are Shank, Vijegas, Nick Taylor. We didn't talk about Zach Johnson. I talked about Zach Johnson on my solo podcast and I actually wrote him up in the Rotoballer article. I'm going to bet Zach Johnson to finish top 40 this week. I'm going to play Zach Johnson in DFS if he's like not 20%. I think Zach Johnson is like a really, I just like don't overthink this one. Like I think Zach John, and you know me, Mark, you know, like I avoid chalk like the plague and I'm always about like trying to find the sneaky guys that no one else is talking about. And I know that I understand that Zach Johnson is like literally the most obvious player this week and he's completely overpriced and he's going to be overowned. I think you should play Zach Johnson this week. Like I think I, I really think that Zach Johnson is going to have a great week and it doesn't really have a ton to do with his uh, course history. It's all about the ball striking for me. So I, Zach Johnson's the other guy that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but I'm definitely going to play in the top 40 market. Yeah. So Zach Johnson's a guy I'll definitely have exposure to, at least in drafting. He's probably be uber popular, but that's I, I know okay. it's, yes. it's going to be okay to roll with, I think I told you last week or something, I forget who did it, but there was some like, somebody dove deep into the good chalk versus bad chalk. And I think it was like any chalk over like 8,500, like chalk being like greater than like 17 and a half percent has overperformed expectations, but then chalk like in the 7K or below is where you start to really run into some issues. So playing Zach Johnson, even though he's going to be popular, I don't think is a, is a bad call. Uh, one guy we didn't talk about who's around like that 80 range um, Kramer Hickok, do you have any interest in him at all? I know he just lost that marathon against Harris English a couple week weekends ago, but I don't know. Uh, I feel like this no, could sell, be like sell, a, sell me real quick. Interesting. So I, I haven't like gone all the way in on him yet. Like I haven't like looked at it completely, but he was a guy who he kept like coming up for me. He's only like 19th in my model, so I, I probably wouldn't get him outright unless I really start to like turn a blind eye to some things, but Six in greens regulations gained, six in fairways gained, third in good drives, 26 in birdie or better over the last 24 rounds. He's a guy, if you're going to look at a guy who's going to just, like I said, hit greens, hit fairways. And I don't know if it was just because he's in the playoff, but he made every single putt. If he can hit greens the way he, he has been hitting greens and putt the way he putted for those eight playoff holes, like he can go out there and win this week. And at 80 to one in this field, that's where I was a little bit like drawn to. Like I mentioned earlier, guys who once they get some experience at a chance at winning, and also like this is going to be such a crappy event. The, the CBS coverage needs to talk about that wine bottle again for another like three hours. <laughs> so I think this is just like a perfect scripting for them for Kramer Hickok to have another uh, showing this week. I like it. I don't think a ton of people will be on him too. And I think you raised a good point about the chalk thing where it's like, I'm going to play guys like Nick Taylor and Vijegas that no one is going to play. So it doesn't really matter what I do at the top of the board as long as my low guys outperform the low guys that everyone else is picking, which is like going to be guys like Roger Sloan and stuff like that. The ben problem, Martin. yeah, Ben Martin, the problem that I always make, Mark, is that I'm just like, oh, well, I'm going to. I'm going to differentiate at the bottom and I'm going to differentiate at the top. And that's what ends me up 
playing like a hundred percent Sung JM and zero percent Walking Neiman last week. Even though Sung J was like a really great play, he finished eighth. But I kept I kept being like, all right, like Sung J had half the ownership of Neiman. What scenario would I ever want to play Neiman in the spot when Sung J is half the ownership? So yeah, and I think it's really interesting. Not to I know there's a betting show, not to get too into the DFS side of things, but I, I think it's gonna be like pretty level at the top. Like I think that just looking, it's still very early in the week, but just looking at the fantasy national stuff, I think that there's like not a ton of buzz on Berger, even though I think he's like fairly priced, to be honest with you, in this field. Um, I don't think that I don't think that the ownership that you got with Bryson last week at the Rocket Mortgage, I don't think you're going to see like 28% or 30% on Berger this week. And then all these guys are going to be split pretty evenly. I feel like between. Henley and Harmon and um, Sungjae, I think, will be the guy that people gravitate the least to. And I think no one will play Cameron Davis coming off a win, too. But yeah, I mean, like, I think it's really important to pick, like, pick the guy that you like, no matter what, regardless of what the ownership is. And then, like, there are so many ways that you can differentiate elsewhere. Like, if you pick the best player between Harmon, Henley, and Streelman, if you get that threesome right, like that's a potential W. If you get like one of the guys at the very bottom right, like that's a potential W too. And then like Zach Johnson, you can just put him in there and he's he's fine. So that's probably what I'm gonna end up doing. But Mark, before we get out of here, any closing thoughts? You want to like do a quick little recap? I know that I've kind of danced around who I'm actually betting, but I think for me, the only two bets that I've made is Redmond at 66 and Vegas at 70. And the players that I'm pretty close on are Henley at 22, Wise at 55, Gim at 66, Stallings at 80, and Munoz at 65. So some combination of that, but I think it's going to be like those guys in there in that kind of 50 to 80 range. And then top 40, I'm going to play Zach Johnson, Adam Shank, Nick Taylor, Camille Vajegas. I want to fit some Lucas Glover, Patton Kazire, and Matt McNeely in there um, somehow. So I don't know how I'm going to do that, but like all of those guys I like, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to have room for them, but that's kind of what it's looking like for me. What about for you? So I already bet Kevin Streelman at 28 and Kevin Knott at 45. Outside of that, the guys who I'm still looking at would be Kyle Stanley around like that 60 number. Yeah, uh, like I just mentioned I forgot about him. Uh, Kramer Hickok around 80. Scott Stallings around 80. Uh, Pat Perez around like 85 are all guys who I'm going to be like looking into more. Uh, but top 40, uh, Charles Howell, Adam Shank, Bryce Garnett, Pat Perez, and Scott Brown are the guys I'm probably going to go with. Scott Brown is just a complete course history that nobody really knows about and maybe finishes <laughs> top 40. He was like 250 to one. So I figured the top 40 has got to be a, a decent number. So oh, that's all sure. I have. That's all I have. I, I'm, I'm not proud to mention, I might, I might go Matthew Neesmith at like 160 outright, but that would be for less than I normally like a 10th of a unit. That wouldn't be really that much at all. Yeah, thank God Austin Eckrode isn't in the field this week, so I can just like lay off that for a week or two. Man, that was brutal. Um, well, last week, last week I tweeted like, "Why bet Bryson at seven to one when you can bet Justin Sue top forty at six to one?" And, and then bogeyed we, the last hole to miss the cut. I know you were so pissed about that. We were we were talking about that. Yeah, it was one of those days. Like, so the and I know you were on Bramlett too, and I like loved Todd Father. Like I was all in on talk. I talked him up on Mayo show. I think you were the first person that put him on my radar Monday night. And then by like Wednesday, I like had fully talked myself into him. What other scenario? I don't know what the true strokes gained would be and how much they actually lost to the field that day. But for Brendan Todd, Ches Reavy and Joseph Bramlett on Friday to all be inside the cut line and all shoot over par and to combine to shoot plus seven on that course and all miss the cut by one stroke. <laughs> I, was I, I was in the same boat. How is my that going to happen? My entire card missed the cut on, on Friday. Like they made it on Thursday. I all I had to do was shoot even on one of the easiest golf courses and they would have made the cut and they all shot over par. And I was sitting there like, 
like Todd is the one that drove me crazy because he was missing like six, seven footers. And that's like, like I, I bet on him because he's a good putter. Like, I don't <laughs> always bet on putters and I'm betting on a guy who's a putter. And now he's also losing strokes. So um, yeah, I, I, last Friday was a, was a pretty brutal, pretty brutal day two of a tournament for me also. Yeah. All right, man. Well, any British open thoughts? You want to do a little, little British open, like five, 10 minutes on the British. Have you done yeah. any research yet? I haven't done any research. I was on a podcast earlier today with Wagwaduff and mm-hmm. they're from the UK. So they normally cover a little bit more. Euro, oh, wow. And they're, that's, that's on their side of it. Usually I, I write for the PGA stuff and then they have a guy who writes for the Euro. He was on a couple guys who I probably would not have gotten onto. And I know that they're, they're, they're going to post the card on the website probably tomorrow. But the only guy who actually I say two guys who I was really looking into uh, was Scotty Scheffler at 30. I just love Scheffler. Like, yeah, th- there's no other reason besides me just wanting to bet on Scheffler the week that he wins. And then kind of like Corey Connors, I saw like a 50 on him. He was 40 at a lot of the Euro books. And I just like, he's kind of fallen off a lot of people's radars. He's obviously a ball striking machine. He played uh, the PGA championship at even par, which was pretty good. I think that was good enough for T17, which was a pretty much link style course also. So those are the two guys who I had circled. And then somebody who I'm going to keep an eye on going forward. I'm probably not going to bet them for anything like the open next week or for the Euro event this week. But Ian Poulter's a guy who I feel like as we get closer to the Ryder Cup is a guy to probably keep an eye on. Because I feel like he's starting to really like put his, his foot on the gas. But for the open, I have no bets yet. I'm sure Louis Eastwazen is going to be like the most popular bet of the week. And along with Xander, because Xander just got married. Um, and for Euro this week, the Scottish Open, I have maybe I'll maybe I'll go Scheffler and, and Corey Connors. Ah, yeah, the Xander. I mean, yeah, the Xander thing is a whole different podcast for me. But do you really think that people are going to still bet him at at like eighteen to one? I, I mean, he's also twelve to one for the tournament this week. Which wouldn't it be like hilarious if he goes out and wins the Scottish Open this week? I think that'd just be the funniest thing if he just wins the Scottish Open and doesn't like do anything at the at the Open. I would not be laughing, Mark. I would not be laughing at all. But yeah, that would be like the yes that a lot of people would get enjoyment out of that. Yes, that would be a very likely scenario. I could see that happening. It, I feel it would like, be so funny too because then you'd be six to one for the Open. Yeah, I know. So I. <laughs> I feel like what I was seeing with Xander is like he gets married, right? And uh, this is literally all just kind of happening right before we start. We went live and started podcasting, but he gets married and people are like, people are like poking fun at him. Like, oh, like I tweeted out like as a fan of Xander, like with completely agnostic of like any betting endorsement on him whatsoever. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do for the US for the British Open. Like I have to dig into it. Like I have... I have stuff to do. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm just a fan of Xander. So I really, I really like Xander. And I was like, let's go like two weeks, baby, like good vibes. And I think people are like misconstruing that as like all the idiots, like betting Xander, like you guys are such an idiot for betting Xander, like at these short odds. It's like, first of all, it's not Xander's fault that he's at these odds, right? Like what's he supposed to do? Like I, it it doesn't make any sense to me why that has turned into like Xander sucks uh, because he's at these odds. Like if Xander didn't win at 40 to one every week versus if Xander didn't win at 20 to one every week, what's the fucking difference? Like there are millions of guys that don't win at 40 to one every single fucking week. What's the difference that they price him that way? If you don't want to bet him, don't fucking bet him. <laughs> If they put him at forty to one each week, the books would be out of business. At least in in Europe, they do the eight place each way. Yeah, like, that's they true. have to protect themselves. Like <laughs> if they so put him true. at like forty to fifty to one, like people would just be betting him every single week and cashing that top eight ticket. So, um, is there anybody for the Scottish Open this week who you think might play really well or do something to then crash their odds for the Open next week afterwards? I didn't do a ton of Scottish stuff, but like I think that JT, I think could be interesting. Like if J, like to answer your question, I think if any of the top guys, 
I think the numbers that you really want to monitor are the numbers on guys like Bryson and Dustin and guys that aren't playing in the Scottish Open. So if you have interest in a guy like Bryson or Dustin, you're probably rooting for a big week out of a Rom, a Rory, a JT, or a Xander. And I would probably wait on those guys. But for example, like if you are really high on JT for the British and you think he's also going to play well at the Scottish, like for sure, those odds are going to crater if he plays well. I haven't done like enough. Re- I'm, I'm never one of those guys, Mark, that bets into those markets like all year. I'm one of those guys where I just like all of the information at my disposal, like the week before, I just want to have all of the updated numbers. I don't care if I get a slightly worse number on somebody than I would if I had bet him in January. I just want to have all of the updated information. I want to have the full picture. I want to know everything. Um, so like I just... I'm kind of waiting and seeing, and like the second I finish all my John Deere stuff on Wednesday, I'm going to really crack into it. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, the only event that I might bet ahead of time is the Masters because we know what the course is every single year. When the courses rotate with all the other majors, I, I am such like a make a narrative for the week type of person that I can't do that three months in advance for me to like say, oh, this is a good value at 55. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, so for me this week, I I honestly maybe I'll post it as like an official play, but I I probably end up betting Scheffler and Connors in the Scottish Open, just as I like them a lot. And then for the Open afterwards, I haven't I have nothing on my card yet. I mean, I really want Hovland to win it, so I might, <laughs> I, I might be like biased here, so I might not have to like maybe I'll just like secret bet him because I can't like continuously lose on Victor Hovland. And like I I was so mad when he withdrew. Where the the sand in the eye thing. He's my one and one pick that week, also. So like, like I feel like he owes me a dub at some point. But do you have any before we go? Any thoughts on like Ricky Fowler? I didn't even know he qualified for the Open until like today. Yeah, I mean maybe I don't. To be honest with you, I'm so like. I, I've only, at this point in my process, I've only like started processing the top of the board. The extent of my research has been like okay, who's my guy at the top? And then I will kind of like work down from there. I had no idea that Ricky Fowler was in the field. One of the things that I've been doing is, and I would recommend this to anyone that wants to either, I think it's helpful for research purposes, A, and I think if you're just like a golf fan, go on YouTube and the RNA, you can watch an hour long film of every single British Open that's like ever happened. And I started doing that two nights ago just to kind of like get in the spirit and kind of remember what the types of players I'm looking to target on Lynx Golf and stuff like that. I watched the Royal St. George's one, the last one that Darren Clark won in 2011. I forgot. I watched some other one, but I've watched like three of them. And in two out of the three, like Ricky contended. And I like completely forgot that Ricky did that. So yeah, you're probably onto something with Ricky. I didn't even like, like I've said, like I haven't even gotten to the point yet in my research where I'm like, is this guy good on links courses? Yeah. Same with me. I have to really dig into that. I started making the spreadsheet I make for every major where I kind of like try to find trends. Um, A couple of things I noticed were just like your normal, like official world golf ranking trends and like has done like, top 10 in our last five starts type of type of thing. So once this week is over, I could probably really start to get an idea of like who fits into those trends and start to narrow down my list and, and really get the handful of guys who I think could, could actually go win at a links course at, at a major. So like, like we always say, like, like Brooks always says, I got a major half the field's already eliminated. I can only imagine when it's like the open, it's probably even more so because it's one, it's in not even in the United States. So it's probably going to be tougher for travel time and whatnot. So got to look into that probably on Thursday once this tournament kicks off. Me too, man. I'm I'm on the exact same schedule as you, Mark. I think that'll do it from us, man. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you over the... I'm sure you're going to be a busy guy over the next two weeks. Yeah, so I'll be writing for Wabbledoff and for the Breakdown Sports. I have all that on my Twitter profile. I call Fets 101. 
on my Twitter account. I'll be posting a bunch of spreadsheets over the next couple of weeks, and I'll be going on a couple podcasts with Wagwood Up and with The Breakdown and anybody else who, who reaches out over the next week or two. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thanks, Mark, so much. I know that we will be in contact uh, every day over the next couple of weeks, um, yelling at the players that we decide to bet and um, discussing all of our British Open takes and running it by each other. So look forward to that with you, my friend. And thanks for joining me, buddy. Awesome. Thank you. That's it for the show, guys. Please remember to like, rate, review, and subscribe on your way out. It really helps me out a whole lot. And I will be back on Sunday giving out my first look and early leans for the British Open. Later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.